What happens when you take Facebook arguments between friends who don't agree and have them face to face? I'm Xanthi. And I'm Andrew. And this is We've, We've Got, Got Issues. Hello, and we're back. I'm Andrew, and I'm here with my lodestar, Xanthi Taylor. <laughs> and uh, we're like here it. for yet another uh, episode of Z to A. We've Got Issues, episode 19. That's exciting. It's very exciting. And uh, it has been an insane, insane week of politics and issues. I mean, it just gets crazier and crazier, which, uh, you know, I'm actually incredibly relieved that I get a chance to sit down with you every couple of weeks and uh, go through all of this stuff, because otherwise I think my head might explode. Yeah, and and, uh, and hash it all out. I mean, this week we saw you agreeing with David Frum, which I thought was a first that we've, we'd never... <laughs> Seen before, so um, yeah, I disagree. I think we've 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 been on the same anti-Trump page for quite a while. You and from yeah. yeah. So um, so yeah. So we are uh, going to talk about I think a lot of the crazy things that have happened this week, and it really has been I think a crazy week. Yeah. Um, and it's actually funny because I think talking about some of this stuff, if you know, on the one hand, we don't want to talk about what everybody's talking about, but on the other hand, not talking about it, like it's sort of like while Rome burns, you're you know. <laughs> talking about making jokes you know, the, yeah so at some level like if you like we have to talk about it so yeah, but we're going to try to focus on uh not rehashing all the stuff that's already been said about all of these issues and maybe try to get to a slightly different place on it okay. in our inimitable style yes indeed all right so but first we have to play the game that put us on the map the one that's created so many followers for <laughs> for our show and that is not my tribe but well it turns out I think because there's been so much news. And yeah, we're going to do a one-sided version. We're just going to do it one-sided. So it's just going to be stuff that I think Xanthi may not have picked up. Right. Um, Andrew, from, Andrew, in other words, was willing to fiddle while Rome was burning, yeah, while so, I just had my eye on the, on the important issues yeah. all, all so, week. So here was an interesting thing. So on the day that all of this stuff broke, which I guess was Tuesday. Oh, which stuff are we talking about? Uh, and the day that the anonymous op-ed broke and like the day after the, the book Bob by Woodward, Bob Woodward but, came out, um, Trump actually gave a 40-minute exclusive interview to the Daily Caller. I don't know if you saw it. No. But he did. And it's 40 minutes long and I think um, pretty interesting. And um, so I'm not surprised you didn't see it. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, so here's one question from that, which I thought was an interesting point. So of the 49 primary endorsements made by Trump mm -hmm. uh, in the Republican primaries, primaries, how many of them did he get wrong? So how many people did he endorse? Who didn't win. Who didn't win. All right. So I'm assuming, I guess I'm just going to yeah, I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you multiple choice. Because, well, I, I'm going to say... Very few. Okay. Because otherwise, I'm assuming he wouldn't have shared this information with the. Just knowing what I. Okay, so I'll give you. the deep insight that I do into the president. I'll give you a range. So, of the 49, yeah. 10, 5, 1, or 0? Of the people that he endorsed who did not get elected. Yeah, so he endorsed 49 different primary candidates. How many of them did not win their primary? Oh, Lordy. All right, I'm going to go with 0. Yeah, no, 1. 1. There was 1. <laughs> Which says that the Republicans are, in tr in my opinion, either, I think the Republicans are still in tr Trump's, the primary voters are still in Trump's Pocket. camp completely, <laughs> mm -hmm. which I think is interesting, right? Because this is a week where we're all, where there's sort of this argument about the soul of the Republican Party. And isn't it a little bit, isn't it a little bit um, deceptive, though? Because you can't, 
say that Trump's endorsement is what led to each of those victories, you could say that Trump or his people were smarter about you could. who to endorse than that's, they have been in the past. That's a totally fair read on it. But I think at the same time, what you can also say is that having Trump endorse you is not a negative sure. within the Republican yeah, Party. It, didn't, for it, sure. it, it did not. It, it's, it's not a double negative. Right. Um, <laughs> it did not not lead to them winning. So I thought that was an interesting <laughs> thing you might not have seen from the other side. And then uh, here was another one. Um, so Cory Booker, as you probably do know the story, that he kind of stood up in the... Yesterday. Yesterday in the Kavanaugh hearing, and he kind of said, bring it, I want to, I'm going to release these things, and you at the guys... Risk, at the risk to my own uh, career, yeah, I'm going to be yeah. expelled from I'm the Senate. Take, so, so my question to you is, what was the kind of the content, uh, in specific, of the memos that he was revealing? All right, well, the only one that I know of in detail mm-hmm. is um, that there was one email about um, whether Roe v. Wade is or is not settled law. That's incorrect. That was one of the emails. That, that was released. not one of the Cory Booker emails. Oh, really? No. Okay. Actually, the four Cory Wait, Booker... you read through the Cory Booker... I did. There were only four of them? There were only four. Oh, okay. And first of all, they were already re- released, but actually they were about race. Mm-hmm. And you know what their content was? I think I did read something about this. Um, no. The content was that basically the Kavanaugh wanted to apply a race-neutral standard. So people were saying, well, we should be able to take race into consideration when we're with like the TSA and whether or not we should, you know, when screening people at airports, can we use can we use race Mm -hmm. as a category? And his actually stance was, no, we don't think that's appropriate. So basically. But does that then carry on to things like affirmative action? No, actually, it's the well, I think the point was he actually took the liberal stance on this. But because it was, but Sir Corey was like, oh, there are these race-based emails that I need, that I insist on getting out. And he kind of made a bet that like nobody's actually going to read the content. <laughs> and, um, and he was going to like be a hero. And what I thought was so interesting was like, yeah, we all heard about his big stand. But we didn't really hear about the fact that actually what he was you're revealing. You're 100% true I am 100% actually. Okay. I, if you listen to the Daily to this morning, they kind yes. of mention it as an aside. Well, they mentioned... They didn't mention the content. They do, they do, but you kind of, but you, your ear kind of misses it. I thought that what was interesting about that is that there was some suggestion that actually Cory Booker knew all along that those emails, in fact, were already um, released from the confidentiality. But the reporter on the of the New York Times said, "There's no way that he's going to accuse Cory Booker of." grandstanding and creating kind of a phony he said it was actually quite confusing about what was and wasn't confidential committee confidential. yes but but i just think the interesting thing is like it's all about not only is is it like much ado about nothing that cory booker's doing but it's actually stuff that was positive for kavanaugh but it kind of he knew that like nobody had the sort of the attention span or that the, the media would cover it well i mean to actually gonna, read what the content right. was my take is just that they're doing everything that they can to slow down and yeah. roadblock and delay because that's the only exactly. option that they well have. anyway i thought that was an interesting story that you all right everyone go look it up prove yeah. andrew wrong yeah no if i'm wrong go ahead and tell I'm me i'm wrong google, i'm gonna be looking this up after but we i'm record. right but yeah um and then this was the other one where I thought was kind of a, a funny. There were actually two funny moments um, oh, in please. the hearings. Give me some humor. Um, this one I think you'll get because you're zero for two right now. But, I know, uh, not good. but well, I there was a big liberal anymore. media uh, tweet storm. I think it was on Monday because a woman sitting behind Kavanaugh was suspected of making a sign 
with her fingers? What was she? What was she? I doing? saw something about this, and I have to confess that I did not dig deeply into yeah. this really, really important issue. Something about RBG? No, ah. no. She was everybody essentially the kind of the liberal tweet people um, said that <laughs> that essentially she was making a white supremacy sign because she was saying oh, like an okay sign because she was oh, resting her hand like this that's weird. and everyone's like why is that woman making a white supremacy sign and then it turned out that the woman who was accused of that was actually like a granddaughter of holocaust victims oh. and she was a mexican-american and that there was just no way that she was but it was just kind of ridiculous everybody wanted to be saying oh there's something, some conspiracy. So, so actually, this so is interesting to me. On both and, sides. and I'd like to go there for a second, which is this, you know, I tend to think of people who believe in conspiracy theories that I don't agree with as being insane. Right. And I think that one problem that's cropped up is that too many people who I do like and do agree with seem to be going down this conspiracy theory rabbit hole. And I think it's really, I mean, it's such a banal thing for me to say, but it's so dangerous and so dumb. Right. And even, you know, people like Rachel Maddow, who I actually don't really, I'm not a huge uh, Maddow partisan, um, she indulges in these conspiracy theories all the time. Um, And this is one of those places where I just want to say, like, we got to be better than that. Right. I agree. On both sides. But I I only really care about how one side conducts itself at the moment. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's funny because Rachel Maddow, when she first started, I thought she was very intelligent and incisive and thoughtful and passionate. And I guess now she's like, yeah, but I can get much better ratings by indulging in this lowest common denominator stuff. And, um, you know, there was one person on your feed who sort of thought that Trump was kind of trying to kind of stage an imperial takeover of the government by, um, you know, essentially releasing this phony he had, crea- he had created this whole thing himself so that he could kind of start his own dictatorship. And to me, that sounds like an unlikely scenario in that he, because Trump, you know, as we know, is all about being seen as competent and strong. Right. And so for him to be like, Ridiculous. oh, no, no, I'm incompetent and I'm Would never I'm weak. happen. And like, let's plant that in there so that I can then crack down. Right. That doesn't seem like. Well, my question is also like, what do we gain from indulging in conspiracy theories? We gain some kind of emotional release and some kind of like scratching of an itch that we really want to scratch. But I just don't see how it moves us forward in any way. Like to me, it takes us backward or in circles. Uh, And I don't, I just really want to caution people against it. It seems... Um, and obviously the internet makes it and social media makes yeah. it well, I mean, a I thousand think, times worse. I think you have these situations of great uncertainty, like let's say the JFK assassination, where everybody's like, what the heck is going on? Right. right? Like, this doesn't make any sense to me. How could this be just one person? Mm-hmm. You know, or, or like even September 11th, like how could this just be 20 people with an idea? Right. 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 Like, right. and some money, but basically a very simple plan. Yeah. And often and in these situations, like, you do find out that there are layers below layers and yeah. wheels within wheels or but whatever it's the usually, metaphor you want to use. But it's usually not, because I think to involve more and more people, like, then it becomes less and less likely to be able to pull that off. Yeah. And, and, uh, and so, you know, I think that's why you just sort of say, like, I just can't believe that it's this small to do something so big. But yeah. in, in fact, I, I just think it's interesting that both sides seem to be indulging in this thinking equally. And I do think that yeah. it has something to do with the fact that we elected somebody that, you know, more than half the country just, you know, wasn't just not in favor of, like, just literally couldn't believe that this person could ever be elected. 
president, right? There was like a collective sense of disbelief. Um, so I think that's yeah. that's why we so, are so where for, we are. <laughs> so for the record, Xanthi was at a rare, unheard Those of, really. Those zero were tough. Those Actually, I just think that they weren't that tough on a normal news week, but yeah. in the deluge, deluged, which do you say? Delu- I would say deluge, in but the... actually it's deluge in French. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you can say it either way. In the, de- the deluge or deluge of news that came this week, I guess it was easy to the miss. The trivia things. was lost. It was, and then there was one more that I didn't do, which was actually on the left side. <laughs> you're going to do side. it now. <laughs> but I'm going to do it. It's a bonus round. Did you see, um, there was one sort of crazy right-wing protester who was in one of the hearings and she was kind of grandstanding and using her selfie thing and a democratic congressman managed to kind of make her quiet or like mm-hmm. um, doing, oh I did doing see what? this this is the one that I saw oh because it was left wing he's an auctioneer he's an auctioneer and so he started basically doing an auction uh, he's from Missouri and uh, that, was that was very funny but um uh but it, interestingly, that that one did come across your screen. Although, All was right. that in the Twitter? I felt like that was in the Twitter hearing. That was in the Kavanaugh it hearing? It was not in the Kavanaugh hearing, no. It was the Twitter. It was but it was just funny that he was like, hearing that's I'm going to start. Which is something we're not going to talk about. She was actually from that Project Veritas, like those crazy yeah, people. Yeah. So, Anyway. All right. So let's, that, dive, let's dive here's in. Here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about Anonymous. Uh, and then, we, if we still have time, we're going to talk about Cap. Uh, and we're going to talk maybe about the Kavanaugh hearings and, and maybe even a little about Steve Bannon. But go... Start us off with the anonymous okay. letter. Uh, so, uh, anonymous op-ed in the New York Times from a quote-unquote yeah, we all uh, know. senior uh, administration official, right? So that word senior right away yeah, has yeah. raised a lot of questions. Um, my thought in what you and I should talk about with this is that we, you know, there's, I really want to focus on like what's important about this um, piece. Yeah. Is there anything important about it, which I think is an open question. Um, does it tell us anything we didn't already know? Does it move the needle anywhere? Yeah, and, um, you, and so you... And came, less about, you know, who could it be? Because honestly, right. we can speculate till the cows come home, and it's going to turn out to be somebody that we've never heard of. <laughs> no, it's not. I think it's going to turn out to be Pence or some... No. Or, or pretending to be Pence. It definitely is not. But... Um, I'm going to go on the record right now. I'm definitely going to say that it is not well, as someone as senior as we think it the is. The thing about Pence is that he's the only person in the government who can't be fired. Right. He's immune. Right. He can so only be impeached. Right. So he actually has the ability, if he wants to, to get up there and say stuff. And he's got a good safety net. And at the same time, it positions him, if he wants to, to, to you know, to run in 2020 or, or whatever. So it's not impossible that it could be Pence. But okay, I can also say... I, mean, I wouldn't might, say it's impossible. I just don't think that it the is. The Lodestar thing was definitely pointing the arrow in his direction. So that's either a I false... Mean, I am obviously really fringe on this. I do not think right. that Lodestar is such a... I've never used that word. ...$100 word that everyone seems to be implying. It, but it's a rare word. It's never... No, some, it's, it's never. not. It's a cliche. It is, but it's a rare cliche. Nope. Impossible. That's a that's an oxymoron. <laughs> that's a good Can't point. Can't have a rare cliche. Fair point. Okay. So, so let's say it doesn't matter who it is. Why is it important? The memo. In your um, opinion. To me, honestly... Especially when we have this book that just came out that basically said the same thing. Exactly the same thing, right. Um, With, yeah. Um, I think that the memo, that the only importance, if there is any of this, I keep calling it a memo, of Uh, this op-ed, is that it is going to throw an already chaotic administration into even greater chaos. Um, I think that is going to be the only real thing that happens as a result of it. 
I was not impressed with the person who wrote it because I think that doing this anonymously and doing the, writing it anonymously and the actions that this person describes taking, um, I actually don't agree with any of it. Um, and, you know, there was something satisfying, emotionally satisfying about reading an insider telling us that what we've always known to be true is in fact what we suspect to be true. 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 Yeah. Um, I wouldn't even say that I suspected it. Like I, a lot we of people knew that Trump was right. well, the book, a the book says incompetent, the same yeah. incurious, very limited person who acted on his impulses and um, wasn't open to acting like an adult in a lot of situations that really truly demand an adult. Um, I was not, you know. Yeah, well, you see, it kind of makes sense, right? So you have this Woodward book that comes out there that says, hey, everybody's out. What's actually happening is everybody's managing Trump and he's incompetent. And so everybody's kind of working around him. And then, so it makes sense that somebody would come out with an op-ed. Well, working around say, him slash thwarting him. Exactly. It makes sense that somebody would come out to it with an op-ed saying, yes, that's true. Let me explain why we're yeah, doing Yeah, although that. it's interesting. You know, the New York Times op-ed editor said they had actually no idea that the Woodward, that the Washington Post had the Woodward book. Because the Woodward book hasn't even been published yet. The news of but, it came out he, via a leak to the Washington Post. This was So no the timing is coincidental, according to the New York Times. The Woodward book came out, a lot of stuff came out on Tuesday, and this essay came out like Tuesday night. Yeah, so yeah I but think they said there's no connection. I think they're connected. <laughs> um, I think you would be crazy to believe that there's I want to no know. Actually, connection. that is something I would love to know. Not so much who wrote this, but when. Did they see the Woodward stuff come out and then yeah. frantically go to their computer and type this out? Was it already a document that they had somewhere in their like Google Cloud? And they're like, now is the moment. Now is my moment to release it. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, it's uh, that would be interesting to yeah. me. So, so personally, <laughs> I'm kind of torn. I mean, I think on the one hand, I... I have some sympathy for the idea that, like, oh, this is, you know, this is unconstitutional. This is a coup. This is this is d disloyal. If they really believe this way, they should exercise the Twenty Fifth Amendment. Like all of the arguments that David or go Frum, to Congress, you know. all the reasons that David Frum added, and then I also in his article in, the in his article, and yet when I really think about it, like if Congress isn't really willing to get rid of um, Trump, and they're not for obvious reasons, uh, as we just saw in the primary, he's. He's got the heart of the Republican Party. Um, then, like, maybe this is actually the best thing that somebody could do, which well, is so to say prevent us, particularly in foreign policy, and maybe some things around trade, like prevent us from making really big, unreversible, uh, okay. irreversible mistakes. Right. And, you know, like... Assassinating, yeah, assassinating the president Bashar of Syria. Assad, like, like right, I'm sort of glad that somebody's doing that. And I sort of also understand why somebody, I don't think that person's necessarily a hero or a patriot per se, but I think that that is a very reasonable thing to do. And yeah. to say, look, hey, I'd rather be in the room where it happens, as they said in Hamilton, mm -hmm. right? Like, mm -hmm. and rather be able to mm -hmm. actually like shape things yeah. with the person who's by the way, infinitely malleable, it seems yeah. like Trump is. Like, yeah. you can manipulate him relatively easily. Yes. Um, so, I, I kind of... Well, so then here's a question. Part of me says, like, yeah, you know, like, I, I am glad that we didn't assassinate Assad. Yep, yep. Uh, and I'm glad that some people said, let's not well, do so here's that. a question that I have for you, then. Do you think that this piece in The Times was meant to warn us, primarily, no. or reassure no, us? No, because I think if you Wait, do... Wait, which, which? Reassurance. Neither. 
I don't think that's the point of it. Because while I believe all of that to be true, what I just talked about, like that it's actually not a bad thing that we have people in there doing well, that. Well, on, on, on margin, I'd rather have someone in there yeah. like this the, than, the, than 25 The problem months. with the op-ed <laughs> is that the op-ed then works against that, right? So then yes. the op-ed, actually, if there is a resistance and they're doing a good job, the op-ed revealing them, it, yes. Revealing it outs that so that it's sort of like saying, oh yeah, we don't worry, we have spies. Like in the in the Russian government, don't, don't look for us. Not a, not a good idea to say that because now they're looking <laughs> for the spies. That's an excellent excellent right? point. So it's good to know we have spies, but you don't necessarily want to call Russia's attention to it. Correct. Well, that's why I want to know. Like, what was the point of writing the piece? Okay. Is it just that this person needed to unburden themselves? And no. I think that no, Andrew. I think I there is some of that. Right. Partial, this maybe person a literally said, "I am, and we are unsung heroes. We are patriots." This yeah. person wants recognition for doing the right thing in a very difficult yeah. circumstance. So I think this person See, we're getting back to the motivation. To, yeah, like... No, I, motivation is important. Yeah, no, but I mean, we're getting into like the, the speculation, but I... Oh, I don't think that's speculative. I think we need to think about why this piece was written and what effect it will have because those two things are inextricably intertwined. So I think there's, I think there's, there's sort of two options. There's two options, way to think about it, right? Either one... This is sort of an individual move. Like just this is somebody who needed to unburden himself and needed to explain and maybe is, posi maybe is positioning him or herself for the next election. And this is something very... Or just to survive, right. whatever but this comes is, of this. But this is sort of like when people say like, hey, why did you do this? Mm -hmm. They can say... As I said in my op-ed, right. like I did it because I thought it was the right thing right, to do. Right. They're absolving themselves. And they kind of wanted to get it out there while they were still a senior administration yes. official yes. because that person might get fired soon right. anyway. And they also kind of made a point of saying like, I'm still like a loyal Republican. Right. I still believe in so, the tax so cuts and in, you know, so it's, creating more pollution. So in it the might world. be kind of an individual thing, right? Like where somebody's trying to yes. essentially build a case for themselves after the fact. And, and, and or, for the people that and, they believe in, right? And unburden themselves. Yes. The yeah. other the other um, the sort of more sinister and kind of more yeah. interesting thing is like, no, this is actually um, being done to provoke a response. This is done thoughtfully to not as an individual move, but it's actually a chess move that somebody's doing yes. to provoke something, right? And then you sort of think, well, what is it doing? Well, it's clearly done to provoke and annoy and the irritate president. the president. So it could be like, hey, we're trying to goad him into doing something yeah. dumb. Uh, it could be an, an opportunity to say like, hey, you know, let's have another conversation about the 25th Amendment. And, mm -hmm. and, um, and it could be a way to sort of kind of... Um, a message to the Republican Congress saying, yes. like, should we impeach this guy? Yes. If the Democrats run the impeachment, like, hey, by the way, the cabinet sort of thinks he's not ready. Yeah. So if you guys decide to impeach him, like the cabinet, we have your back. Right. And so it could be that. Yeah. Um, it's a mess. I, kind, I mean, it's really a mixture I kind of all of think those things. I kind of think it's more in the first category. I kind of think it's more one person doing something on their own, yeah. building their own reputation, kind of sees this Woodward thing coming out, knowing there's going to be questions to that person about yeah. why did you do all of this, yeah. and to say, like it could be Kelly or Matt or something, and say, or Pence. Right. And, so and, I definitely do want to point out the parallel that they made in, um, and I wish I had thought of this myself, but I didn't, the parallel that Policy of America um, guys made with Paul Ryan's kind of exit interview that he gave in August to the New York Times, yeah. which basically was exactly the same as this, where Paul Ryan said, 
um, you know, I can at least look at myself in the mirror every day and know that I prevented this tragedy and this tragedy and this tragedy. Yeah. And the interviewer said, well, what tragedies are you talking and about? Like, and he's you. like, I can't say. Yeah. And this is the same exact thing, right? Which is saying like, I've prevented, we've prevented the real tragedies from happening, right? We've managed to like pull that letter off his desk in time. We've managed to hang up the phone and not do what he wanted us to do. Um, and to, I find that to be um, coming from a, a position, and I know you're going to hate my saying this, of incredible privilege, which is to say only national security issues and trade issues and economy issues are really important. Yeah. Because I want to look at this person we can talk in the about eye and I want to say to them, you know, well, you didn't prevent the Muslim ban. And you didn't prevent him from saying in Charlottesville that there was bad people on both sides. You didn't prevent him from totally screwing up this whole separation at the border thing on illegal immigration. You know, there are a million other issues where he was clearly in the wrong and you did nothing to stop him. So you suck at being yeah, a resistor. You suck because, or you don't think those issues are important. You think only, you know, the trade pact with North Korea, with South Korea, excuse me, or the war in Syria uh, are the important issues or trade, you know? And that just, I find that incredibly offensive, but uh, you know, that's who this person is. They're not pretending to be anything else, I guess. Yeah. Um, I was thinking we have to do a whole episode on privilege because I'm actually not I don't even know that why privilege is such a bad thing like I I actually lately when people say privilege I used to be like oh man there they go again but now these days I'm sort of like yeah so there's privilege and and I'm all like right. so what next week so it's all privilege I all the time I want to do a whole episode on privilege but anyway um, but you get my point even if you put the privilege thing aside yeah this person has a very narrow take on what as does Paul Ryan apparently on what actual tragedies they've prevented. Um, because there's been a lot of terrible, terrible things that have had real world impact yeah. for people it's an e that so it's have also not an e been prevented. It's also an easy thing to say. Like, oh yeah, like well, you don't know about all the things that I can't tell you Correct. about, right? So it is. It's kind of a. It's kind of a garbage argument. Um, <laughs> so I'll agree with We're you. We're on the on same that. page on that. Like, yeah, like I, I anyway, can tell so you. So I, I do want to say one last thing about it, which is yeah. I can't believe that the person who wrote this doesn't know that no one stays anonymous. It's impossible. If this person stays anonymous, I will be so impressed. Well, I mean, the Deep Throat stayed anonymous for, for like 40 yeah, years. But not forever. Not forever. But maybe this person only expects to stay anonymous for the next year. Two years. Year, two years. <laughs> and then, he's gonna, then he or she is yeah. going to come out running for president. Or Actually, that is the best argument in favor of what you said, which is that this person wrote this as a totally tactical move yeah. for their own benefit. Yeah, which argues for Pence or Haley, right? Um, in, in, I would say. But anyway. Um, I just don't see Pence caring that much about this. But anyway, yeah, enough speculation. I think. I, <laughs> it's I irresistible. Think, I think Pence is. OK, we'll stop. <laughs> All right, so let's talk. Maybe we'll um, know two weeks from now who wrote it. That's, I don't think we will. That's totally possible. I don't think we will. But I mean, Tune um, in and see. there are a lot of people who are trying to figure it out. So do you want to talk um, about so Steve Bannon this week? Well, so there's been a lot of news this week where like culture and politics intersect and commerce in an end commerce in right. an interesting way. Steve Bannon at the New Yorker Festival. And then I think similarly, the Nike, and Nike. The, the, Colin Kaepernick Nike ad, yes. which I thought I saw it. I thought it was a a, a good ad, maybe a, maybe a great ad. 
Um, but an ad. <laughs> but it was also an ad, right? And as somebody pointed out, like just even having this conversation is advertising for Nike. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. Right now we're well, making I mean, we're having uh, that's the entire point. Right. And so we are, and we're not getting paid anything by Nike yeah. as a sponsor. So well, I just want to say yeah. that New Balance makes excellent shoes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I'm kidding. I'm partial to Mizuno. You myself. like Mizuno? Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, all these people, none of these people are sponsoring us. Yeah. Um, so, um, well, my take on the Nike thing is unfortunately that I wish that I could say wholeheartedly, you know, fantastic. They chose a hero. They need to support him. You know, this is a guy who is, you know, has been blackballed from the league, who lost his job. Um, I thought the better news actually was, and I'm assuming that you saw this, that his lawsuit against the NFL was allowed to proceed Good. Uh, by a judge. I thought that was actually way more exciting than his becoming the face of Nike. Um, I just am a little bummed out always when a commercial becomes, you know, the political, it, it, it stands in lieu of an actual that, political change or social change. <laughs> like, it's an ad. They want to sell sneakers. They're courting controversy. Nothing makes them happier than the fact that people are burning their Nikes. Um, it's all good news for Nike. Yeah. I, I mean, it has to be a little bit meaningful, right? Because it... Um, look, you're... On the one hand, it's an ad. On the other hand... They're getting, uh, getting their Getting embraced by that. Yeah, like, they're, ma- they're elevating him. And they're making everyone talk about him. And I think, um, look, they have the money to buy the advertisement on the television. I mean, they're on paying the, him. On the commercials. I like that. They're paying him. Um, so, uh, you know, look, I mean, a good advertisement um, gets the world talking. And, and um, But does it change anything? Does it change anything? I would say it arguably makes him less of an outsider, right? But is it going to change anyone's mind? Is anyone going to say, you know what? Now I do like Colin Kaepernick. Now that he's now that Nike says he's cool, I like him too. And I don't think that it will. I think the people who don't like him are still not going to like him. Some of them will stop buying Nikes. Some of them won't give a crap. Most of them will forget about it a week from now. Maybe what I would say is I do think it kind of amplifies both of those things. Which? So if you were already saying, like, oh yeah, Colin Kaepernick, like if you were kind of dissonant. Who or, was on the fence on Colin Kaepernick? Um, I was not. I always thought that he was doing something that was very patriotic and consistent as, with our values as, as a First I. Amendment. But, it, but because I'm a First Amendment, largely because I'm a speech and First Amendment guy rather than I'm somebody who says, oh, you, compar- you, you want to make it clear you're not a Black Lives Matter activist. No, so I we think, got, we got I think, I know, I think there's a point. I know. I do think that that they that there's value to what he's saying, but I also think that there's he value. Has a right to say it. There's a value into not shutting people yes. down sure. when they're trying to express themselves, which Whether leads you agree us with them or not. to the other story, which was Steve Bannon did get shut down out of because everybody basically who was on a panel with him for the New Yorker about a movie that just came anyone out. Anyone who was part of the festival. Anyone is part of the and and uh, done by an amazing um, filmmaker, Errol Morris. Errol Morris. Although that's a, the Errol Morris thing is a slightly is a separate issue because that's. That movie is screening in Venice at the Venice. But it's all tied with that, right? The reason they want him. Well, now people are attacking Errol Morris as well. Um, Right. But it's all like it's all this question about Steve Bannon. Do you give a voice? Is he an is he a person that we should be listening to? And is are his are his opinions things that we need to air and discuss, or are his opinions things that um, you know are so that are so fringe? 
I wouldn't say terrible. I would say I would say that there are certain things that are fringe that you don't want to necessarily kind of dignify with, mm-hmm. with like for example a flat Earth, right? Like somebody's like, great. You know, if, really, I, really, if I put a flat Earth guy, Andrew, I think I give him a TED, if I give them a TED talk, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like I kind of have to take the idea of flat Earth seriously, right? Right. So I can't give a flat Earth. But guy Andrew, a TED we're talk. so far past that. I mean, not just because right. he was of chief the of, internet he was and chief social of media, but not even just with Bannon, like. I don't even know that the idea of, I don't even think that there are things that are so fringe anymore that they're not indulged by somebody somewhere. Like the internet put all of these things on an equal footing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, ideas that once were considered incredibly fringe, like global warming is a hoax, are now totally mainstream. Well, not saluting the flag has been an idea that's been around for a very long time, or burning the flag, or whatever, desecrating it in some way. Um, you know, people I, were burning flags, by the way. I just want to point this out. Yeah. People were burning flags in the past. All that these NFL players were doing yeah, yeah. was no, kneeling. We're on the same page on the NFL. <laughs> I actually, but I think they're related. I actually think that, um, I, I think there's two, two, two points on the banner thing. And I, I was firmly in the camp of Malcolm Gladwell, who was one of the few people who I think who had the liberal, what did he who say? had the courage to say, no, I think like we should listen to and have a conversation with and hopefully debunk um, Bannon. Yeah. And he said, you know, the way that we solved the Joe McCarthy thing was not by, was actually having these, you know, uh, HUAC, uh, House of Un-American Committee hearings were eventually like putting enough of that stuff in the light, changed people's opinions. Right. And, and actually saying, hey, you're, you're acting, you know, you have no decency mm-hmm. and you're, you're acting, this mm-hmm. is, Right, you know, and Bannon isn't like a Nazi, right? Even though people call him, he's that. not. He's actually, I think, a. Oh, don't a, say something nice about he's him, please. Very intelligent. I disagree. Person. But <laughs> well, I mean, I think he's he, a lot less intelligent than everybody. Well, gives him do we for. really know? No, I we mean, don't. Because have we really listened? No, to but him? I am going to see the Errol Morris movie for sure. Yeah, and I think, um, I think that's good. And anyway, so I thought that. The, that disinviting him was a mistake. Not just disinviting, but all the people who said, oh, I'm going to get on the bandwagon. Yes. Including John Mulaney, who I really like. I know. And I was, just sad, John I was sad that he sort of said, oh, yeah, no, I can't. But this is the world we live in, Andrew, right? Which you know, is you that take all a of a sudden, everyone has to pick a side. It's so discouraging. It really yeah. is. And it really does inhibit actual discussion and progress. Yeah. I couldn't feel more strongly about that. I think, I mean, if you want to hear really quickly my take on the Bannon thing, I think it was a mistake to invite him to participate in this venue, in this festival. Um, And I have a very specific reason for thinking that, which is that I saw David Remnick interview James Comey when Comey's book was coming out. Oh, yeah, you did. And, uh, which we discussed. And Remnick is an unbelievable editor and an unbelievable writer. Not a great interviewer. He was, he tried really hard to push Comey into uncomfortable places and to get him to sort of say things that he hadn't openly said before. And he tried to do, but I'm assuming he also would have done with Bannon, yeah. where he tried to kind of, you know, push him to, to, to reveal himself yeah. and totally failed. Like totally, totally failed. He was too nice. He's a polite, you know, and a live interview that you do on stage in front of an audience is not the place to really examine someone's motives and real thoughts. And Bannon is smart enough, he's canny enough, 
to have known not to do that. And, and I guess, honestly, but like, what's the risk? You actually think someone in the audience is going to be like, hey, yeah, you know, like, boy, Bannon's right. I mean, like, I'm going to become really a, I'm gonna become really a white supremacist. There would have been, there would have been people heckling and protesting and, and yelling right. to the point where they wouldn't have been able to actually complete the interview. Which is a shame. I mean, it's a shame. It's a shame that we can't just sit there and listen to somebody and say, right, you know I what, I disagree with that. people have a right, right to speak up and protest. They do, but it's a shame that they can't also do that without completely drowning out. I mean, I guess there's got to be some sort of place where you say, look, yes, you're you're, we should all be able to protest and we should all be able to say, I disagree vehemently. I can't, can't pronounce that. No, that was right. Vehemently with what you're saying. But... Um, at the same time, you you can't say that I'm going to make it impossible for people to listen to what you're saying. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, and I'm not saying this auction guy because I think the auction guy was great. Like, I think <laughs> she was obviously trying to hijack something for herself. And I think that's that's different. But I think in general, when we get a bunch of protesters saying, we're just going to disrupt this and we're just going to make it impossible for anyone to listen or to hear. When people want to listen and hear, I think that's, it's contrary to what, the idea of the principles behind the First Amendment, it's contrary to the ideas of freedom of speech, which yeah. is that everybody has a right to speak, everybody has a right to be heard. Yeah. And you can't be heard if people are protesting so loud that no one can hear. I mean, so what would have been an effective protest against Bannon speaking at the festival? I mean, the only thing I can think of is that, you know, nobody would buy a ticket. Or but why, the truth is we all know people would have or, bought tickets. Or why not just, what's the risk? What's the big harm in having this guy say things and allow people to... The risk is that you normalize... No, I don't agree with that. The risk is that you normalize... It's normalized. Half of the country voted for this guy. This guy, actually, his ideas won the election for Trump. This guy became chief of staff of the United States. To say normalize, like they're the majority. You can't say <laughs> well, the norm. Not, you not can't, technically. You can't say we're normalizing the majority. Like that by definition, that's normalized. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> I, I got to concede on that. Uh, yeah. So um, so that's, that's my thought on that. But I, you know, I just think there was little risk and we should just let these things. Well, I will tell you, it would, never, it would never have worked. Like the New Yorkers were, the I get New Yorker it. people were I get it. if they thought. I mean, I went to hear people, Madeleine Albright being interviewed, and that, and she was drowned out by protesters are, the whole time. People are angry. Yes, but I, but I actually think this, this kind of thing, not having a conversation where we say, you know what, like, let me point out the flaws in your views in a, in a relatively. But the truth is, Andrew, we don't way. give everyone the equal right to express themselves. You know, people who you don't, are. No, I don't think you should. People who are who hold abhorrent views or views that are regarded as abhorrent by many people, you know, we don't put them up on a stage and interview them in a kind of culture festival. We put them on trial. I think the test should not be abhorrent. I think the test should be popular or unpopular. Uh, I think I think that if, if you have very popular views that nevertheless you find abhorrent, I think you have a duty to hear them out mm -hmm. because we have to figure out whether they truly are abhorrent and why so many people believe them. Maybe yeah. they're, maybe the idea that tulips are valuable, like in the tulip craze, maybe that's just an insane <laughs> craze. Or maybe tulips are inherently valuable. It doesn't harm But if anybody. like everybody's collecting, well, and I'm sure people lost their houses, whatever. But if everybody's collecting tulips because the idea is that they're really, really valuable, then you actually need to have a conversation with the people who believe that and say, okay, what is it about these tulips that makes sure. them so and valuable. That's what Remnick, and that's what Remnick believed he was going to be able to yeah, do. That's what I think. So let's talk about, we did Cap, we did Bannon. Um, Should we talk about Kavanaugh a little bit more? We're at 
the 40 minute mark so we're you know this is what our audience <laughs> starts minutes, to say well maybe there's the, something going on five on, minutes on kavanaugh i want to uh, hear your take on these hearings i don't really i haven't so um i think it's all political theater i think it's um they're sort of meaningless i think um i feel for the democrats and i understand their anger because they all these sort of arguments and ideas around like why they got rid of Merrick Garland were all just garbage and it was all just yes. tribal. And so I get that they need to do the same thing, mm-hmm. but because they don't have the power to actually do it, yeah. it looks much more ineffectual and lame. <laughs> and you know what I mean? Like if you're going to make all these sort of ineffectual lame arguments, but then you have the power to do it, then at least you win. You're at least you win. And at least you can say, yeah, we did that, and it wasn't so great. But like, we did it. We won. Right. And like here, they're like they're gonna lose. So well, what's their? I mean, they have no other option. Well, that's sort of the sad they gotta part. Like, they got to kick and scream. So they and they are, and they're kicking and screaming, and they're, you know, and they're playing, they're um, auditioning yes. for oh, yes. Democrat of the moment. Yes. So they're. Um, well, I think they're auditioning for Democrat of twenty twenty. Exactly right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're auditioning for president. A few of them and. Uh, and I think not especially well because it's not a great forum for that, although maybe that's their only choice, but it's not a great forum for that because they're going to lose. Yeah. And so, um, but nevertheless, like, uh, and so actually I thought the best person in the whole thing was... You're going to say Grassley. No. No, was Sass. Did you see Sass? No. What did he do? He did, I thought, a really thoughtful... He's, a, I guess, a Republican, but he's, I think, a never-Trumper mm-hmm. from... Um, Idaho? I'm going to say Nebraska. Okay. But um, that sounds right. Ben Sass. And he kind of said, look, here's the real problem here. And it's a great, it's actually a great 20 minute thing where he said, he's right wing, whatever. But, and, and it's easy to say, you know what, you're garbage because you didn't give Merrick Garland a, a hearing. So yeah. just shut up. But at the same time, um, he basically said, Nebraska. We have a problem, which is that we're giving way too much power to the Supreme Court because our, our legislative branch which is, is supposed to be making these types of decisions yes. and actually so now we're based on these nine people and if this is just sort of about red and blue jerseys and like then we shouldn't give these people lifetime appointments oh my gosh wow i couldn't agree with and, that more um, that's exactly my takeaway so from the this real, whole ridiculous circus. and so the real problem so you should watch him i will but i actually you. thought he was now I think you can be very cynical about it and be like, this guy wears a red jersey or like maybe a pink jersey or a purple. So, you know, you can be cynical about it, but actually he at least was speaking the truth. Yeah. And um, maybe, the, maybe the only Sass, one. Ben Sass 2020. That's all I have to say. Well, he's not in your in your tribe, but he, but he's, uh, but he I would mean, be, at this point, honestly, but he would be okay. Yeah, right. Anything will do. Um, I don't think he was running. I actually think he was. He was. Oh come on! Every time ever a Democrat says anything, you assume that they're going to run. Right. So why would he not be running as a if he's a if he's a never Trumper? Of course he's auditioning for twenty twenty. Well, maybe maybe he is. I actually think, but I actually think he's somebody that like the Trumper. I think he's more like uh, one of these guys that they're all trying to get all the Trumpers are trying to get rid of, and mm. he's going to lose his seat. I don't know, but um, anyway, no, that's my takeaway a hundred percent from these hearings. Yeah, you which should is, listen to him. I'm not a Supreme Court um, expert. <laughs> But I do, as a, and I actually think in some sense that informs my take on this in a good way, which is I look at the Supreme Court and I'm not particularly awed by it. And the more that I see how politically determined it is, and the more that I see that essentially all of the, all the judges do 
is provide a continuation of the partisan politics right. that existed when they were appointed. Right. I think what a mess. You yeah. Know, that's a ridiculous, ridiculous way right. to run our judicial branch. The only good thing is they seem to sometimes over time change their minds. Yes. And change the way they are. So I think like Kennedy did and, yes. and a few others. Some like, do and some do Kind don't. of shift over time. But it just it seems like, like what is it? Like a, it's just, you know, luck of the draw. <laughs> yeah. No, crazy. well, it's... it's uh, We're not appointing the, people the, based on right. the right principles. And the, other, only, the only other good news, I guess, is that like our democracy does seem to swing like a pendulum every eight years. So we do kind of get a slight balance, but it does seem at some level kind of crazy. And what we really need to be doing is we need to be you know, making laws and, and having this sort of these tough conversations happening in the legislative Absolutely. branch where you actually, where people actually have the power to say, you know what, I want to get rid of that guy. That yep. guy voted for a bunch of laws that yeah. got rid of, you know, my right to choose. And so I'm going to get rid of that person. Yeah. And that's really where it should belong. Right. So well, I want to end by saying the most lefty thing ever, which is that uh, I have a new coping mechanism for dealing with this kind of morass of despair and cynicism (laughs) it's opioids opioids Uh, no it's nature uh and i'm actually not kidding about that i just want to say that i last week i had the privilege of going to the redwood forests uh, on the in the pacific northwest did you live deliberately and it was the most soothing and um delightful counterpoint to this nightmare that i feel like i'm going through every single day when i turn on my phone or look at my computer um i don't count the podcast as a nightmare that's also no, that's uh, also a good coping mechanism neither do I. <laughs> for others as well as us, I hope. There, I think actually there will be a kind of new transcendentalism coming out. Like I actually think, you know, sort of oh, like, well, we like Thoreau and that. Whitman and Emerson, all those guys, where they're basically as long as there is some nature self-reliance and nature and all that stuff. Yeah. I actually think that's going to, it's coming, making a comeback. So I'm not surprised oh, that I'm you found trend. some solace Excellent. in the Yeah, trees. I advise that for all of you out there who are feeling despairing. Go go to the woods. Go to the woods. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, with that, we leave you. Uh, maybe you're in the woods right now listening to our <laughs> podcast. <laughs> that would be so nice. Yes, it would be. Uh, and but, we'll see you uh, next time. Yeah, see you next time.